Hello and welcome to this episode of Take 15. I'm Lauren Foster, Content Director for Private Wealth at CFA Institute. And I'm delighted to have with me today Carl Richards. Uh, Carl is a Financial Advisor and a Director of Investor Education at BAM Alliance. He's also the author of the best-selling book, uh, The Behavior Gap, Simple Ways to Stop Doing Dumb Things with Money. Uh, Carl also has the distinction of being known as a financial artist. Uh, he's probably best known for his napkin sketches. Uh, he loves using a Sharpie to illustrate the basics of money and financial behavior. His work appears frequently on the Bucks blog of the New York Times. Welcome, Carl. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So let's start with the title of your book, uh, The Behavior Gap. What exactly is The Behavior Gap? Yeah, you know, it, originally it was about something very specific, mm -hmm. and that was the gap between investment returns mm -hmm. and the returns investors actually get. Okay. You know, in our industry, we may know it as time-weighted rate of return versus dollar-weighted rate of return. So mm -hmm. that was sort of the, the behavior gap originally. Okay. It's grown, really, to mean sort of anything that I'm doing that I think is in my best interest mm -hmm. that turns out is not, right? Okay. Something I thought was going to help me with my money right. turns out is actually hurting me. So that's sort of like generically, that's how the behavior gets okay. evolved. So one of the things that can hurt us with our, I guess, uh, investing is uh, emotions yeah. and the role that emotions play. And I guess one of the reviewers of your book used a phrase that I, I liked and he said, the behavior gap teaches us how to rein in the emotional saboteur within us. Why are we so prone to sabotaging ourselves and, and what are the consequences of, of this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. When, when, um, when we talk about investing specifically, yeah. it's, it's almost a genetic sort of trait, right? Okay. We want more of things that give us, we're hardwired mm -hmm. to want more of things that give us security and or pleasure. Right. And we want to get away as fast as we can from things that are causing us pain. Right. That's good in terms of keeping us alive. Yeah. Right? But the moment we switch to investments, right? If you if you we've been trained, nobody really opens their brokerage statements mm -hmm. and sees them down and thinks security pleasure. Mm -hmm, right? They think mm -hmm. pain, I want out, get me out. So it's almost sort of this and I think that that actually helps a lot. Once we yes. understand it's almost a it's a natural, normal feeling to feel that way, we just can't act on it. I right. think that's one of the ways we can help. But I think that's why we do it. It's almost a genetic, you know, mm -hmm. human trait. Right. To want to do what's bad for us when it comes to investments, but makes sense in every other area of our lives. Yes. So, I mean, behavioral finance has become kind of a hot topic these days, yeah. um, and we hear a lot about the mistakes that we'll make about being overconfident. Um, one of your recent columns talked about the opposite, about being underconfident. Yeah. Tell me why you sort of wrote that that blog post and why being underconfident is just as much an issue as being overconfident. Yeah, I mean, I've been thinking about overconfidence for a long yeah. time. And, and one day somebody suggested to me, like, well, geez, I wonder what the cost of, yeah. you know, the, 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 the high cost of being underconfident. And mm -hmm. I was thinking about it a little bit. I don't know that it causes just as much of a problem, but right. for many of us, I mean, think about um, jobs you may apply for. Right. Like, that's an easy one to think. Yeah. Like, I, did, was anybody ever really qualified for the job they applied for, right? Like, often right. we have to apply for a job and we know we're going to learn and grow, but if you're not confident enough to do it, yeah. it costs you a lot of money. Mm -hmm. The other one that I think is really important when it comes to investing is no matter how good the plan we've built, right? Yeah. So this investment, this portfolio we've designed, 
at some point that's going to be tested. Yeah. And if we're underconfident, if we're not confident in that process to stick with it, we get right back to the problem again, mm-hmm. right? So, so I think comp being underconfident can be costly as well, and I think it's important for us to understand. Right. Well, let's just flip that on its head then. Talk a little bit about being overconfident and what that overconfidence yeah. bias does. I think the dilemma with overconfidence, the reason it's so tricky, yeah. is that it's a problem of experts. Right. I mean, overconfident is what you become when you're acting like we would expect experts to act. Yes. You know, so I, I and we start to believe that we know better. Mm-hmm. You know, we start to rely on maybe um, gut, sort of a hunch or, yeah. and, and we also get into this problem of projecting, which I'm sure we'll talk about in a little bit too. But mm-hmm. I think overconfidence um, plays a huge role. And this, you know, this is one of those things that I can actually say is not just a sexist stereotype. Right. Like men actually have a larger problem with overconfidence than women do. Hmm. You know, the great study, Boys Will Be Boys, by <laughs> Terry O'Dean and yes. Brad Barber. Yeah. You know, so you put a group of 100 men in a room and ask yeah. how many of you are above average drivers, and yeah. 100% of them are above average drivers. Right. right? That problem can lead to big Very mistakes, telling. right? Yeah. So if we stick with behavioral biases, I mean, you, you've been a, you are a financial advisor, you talk with other financial advisors, you have clients. What are some of the most common uh, biases you see amongst advisors and clients? Yeah. I think one of the things that's getting really challenging is yeah. this recency bias. Right? Ah, this this okay. the sense that the future is going to look a lot like the recent yeah. past. And one of the reasons I think it's getting challenging is the definition of past mm-hmm. seems to be getting shorter. Right. Right? As the news cycle increases and yes. we hear more, yeah. we seem to think like something that happened three days ago. Right. It's been happening for three days. This is never going to end. right? right? And we project that into the future. Right. I think that recency piece is a big deal. Okay. That, that and small sample sizing. Right where you say, you know, like for instance, go to a trip to um, to South Africa, for instance. Mm-hmm. You're in Cape Town and you're there during the rainy season, mm-hmm. and you happen to be there one two sunny days, and you start to think all this talk about it being rainy all the time mm-hmm. is just a trick to keep you know tourists away. Right. But the reality is, you just had you know. So basing decisions on small sample sizes right. and recency okay. bias probably similar problems, but okay. I see that a lot. And both between advisors and clients, it's similar across the board. For sure. I yeah. mean, advisors, we have a challenge because we're the ones always listening to the news. Right. You know, so we, it, it's funny, but I think that sometimes we become part of the problem okay. because we're always, I mean, it's sort of part of our job right. to be looking for a better solution. Yeah. And does this mean anything? Should I be making any changes? And, mm-hmm. and that leads us to being, you know, sort of prone to this sort of recency bias okay. as well. So you've written about the need to take responsibility for our, our own financial mistakes, and I think you're talking from personal experience in the financial crisis. You lost your home. Tell us, I mean, that was obviously a pretty painful experience to go through. Yes, yes. Tell us about the kind of lessons you learned from that experience. Yeah, yeah. No, that was um, really intense. And if you don't, yeah. right, one of the problems mm-hmm. is if you don't understand, it's, it's almost hard to... Mm-hmm. to, to, to um, Put ourselves back yeah. in the 2007, 2008, 2000. Yes. And if you weren't in, I mean, I lived in Las Vegas at the time, crazy, yeah. right? You were almost silly. Mm-hmm. I mean, the feeling you got was it was crazy not to be as leveraged as you could in the housing yeah. market, right? That yeah. was that was what's it had been working. Yeah. There's that recency bias again, yes. right? And this idea that projecting the recent past into the future, yeah. that was the biggest mistake I made was mm-hmm. reject 
projecting my my income was growing right remember yeah. that 2006 2007 yeah. you know things are growing markets are going up the real estate this will never end yeah. you know and you fall into that prey into that same problem that yeah. we've been warning people about for years so how has this impacted how you deal with clients or how you advise your clients yeah i i try and i and i've said this and I want to keep reminding myself, so I'm glad people yeah. keep asking me about it, <laughs> that I want that lesson sort of seared into my soul right. that, look, you know, no matter how right I think I am, or no, how, diversification is always important, right? right. Let's just yeah. edge a little yeah. bit. Let's make sure that we're being smart. Um, let's remember that things change, mm -hmm. right? Like things change has become a big issue with me. Like what if things changed? Would this be yeah. different? Okay. And I also love the idea of saying, we, we all get so focused on the probability of an event occurring. Right. I love the idea of thinking about, instead of worrying about just the probability of the event, how about the consequence? Right. So, right, suddenly, change, like, I'll give you an example. I climb, mountain climb quite a bit. Mm -hmm. And I was up with an engineer friend of mine on a mountain in Wyoming called the Grand Teton. And we were up and we were moving really fast. And, and I didn't think we were taking a lot of risk, but right. he did. And I said, look, there's almost no chance. Yeah. You'd have to like jump off to fall. Mm -hmm. And he said, yeah, but Carl, if I did, I would die. Right. I, I was yeah. focused on the probability of it happening. Yes. He was focused on the consequence. Yes. I think taking time yeah. before we make big decisions to focus on the consequence, yeah. no matter how small the probability is. Yes really, really helps. That's sort of one of the lessons for me, and it's okay. for sure impacted the advice I give and how I write and everything. Okay. Um, let's talk about how financial advisors can become uh, a better advisor to their clients. So it's kind of a two-part question. Um, first off, what do clients need to do, no, what do advisors need to do more of or less of? And then are kind of clients slash the investors part of the problem? When today you talked about the need to sort of embrace simplicity, so do clients embrace simplicity or do they reject simplicity? What do they actually want? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so the first part, how to, mm -hmm. what could advisors do more of? Yeah. Um, I, I, I think, obviously these are related compared to like what the clients do. Yeah. I think understanding mm -hmm. that we are like sort of finally feeling comfortable in the idea that like we're experts. I mean, yeah. if you think about, especially this audience, right? Mm -hmm. Like who's better trained mm -hmm. than this group of people? So if a client's going to come to a prospective client's going to come to your yeah. office, think about the like trust they've already put in you right. to be able to walk in the door and talk about money. I mean, we don't do that with anyone. Yeah. So it doesn't do much good for us to spend a ton of time then convincing them that mm -hmm. we're experts. They've already accepted the fact that we're experts. And if we can get to that spot, the reason I think that's so important is it leads us to being comfortable mm -hmm. with giving sort of opinionated advice. Right? This is how we do things. Like, right. I'm the doctor. I don't, yep. It's not like the old model where, sales-based model, where like, oh, you don't like green? We sell blue, too. Right. So instead, we say, look, I'm going to understand you enough to then, right. I'm going to then tell you, I'm going to write the prescription. I'm going to mm -hmm. take the time to diagnose. That, you know, that's one thing we can do a lot better. Right. Listening, yes. asking questions. I mean, I think, here's a, here's a sort of benchmark. First client meeting, like first prospective client meeting, Try tape recording yourself. Mm. See if you can get to the point where the client spoke for 50 minutes and you spoke for 10. And when right. you were speaking, all you were doing was asking questions. Right. And I think if we get better at listening, mm -hmm. understanding, it that sets the stage mm -hmm. for the ability to give very simple, clean, concise, opinionated advice. And then when you get to clients, yeah. I mean, clients are obviously, like, that's our job. I think like why my family has an advisor, I get asked that all the time. Mm -hmm. We have an advisor for three reasons. Help me clarify my goals, because right. we often don't know. 
remind me of what I said my goals were. And then the last one, right? I need somebody between me and stupid. Right? And that's sort of the role, I think. And so if we can, we'd never say that to clients, but if we can kindly play that role yeah. of like, hey, I'm really here just to remind you of what you told me okay. and then make sure that you don't do something dumb. Right? Because right? clients, we are human. They're human. We're yes. human. I'm really good at being unemotional with your money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm not, as proven, not very good at being unemotional yeah. with my money. Okay. So I think that third party is really important. And the issue of simplicity, I mean, is it behoven yeah. on part of the advisor to keep things simple? Is that what the clients actually want? Or when they get something simple, do they actually want something more complicated? Yeah. So where does, where does the responsibility lie there? I think that's a challenge. I think here's the, here. I'm, I'm not sure about this, but this yeah. is sort of my opinion on it, is once we become the expert, mm-hmm. you know, so that's almost the way we carry ourselves. And we're no longer trying mm-hmm. to convince people to trust us. Yeah. That, and, and, and then we, number two, we listen really closely. Like right. we've really got a clear picture of what really needs to happen. So we're yeah. not doing this to manipulate. We're doing this to really understand the client. That leads us, that opens, that gives us the opportunity now yeah. to propose simple solutions. Wow. Now, some clients, if we don't understand them, if we didn't take the time to listen and we propose simple solutions, gone. Right. right, like we'd we'd had that experience. My wife and I with an estate attorney. It was at the end of this meeting. The estate attorney says, "Well, we could do this, this, or this." Mm-hmm. And I didn't know if my wife was going to cry or kill it, like get really mad. <laughs> She's like, "No, I came here to have you listen to me enough, ask me the right questions, to then tell me what to do." Right. And if if my wife felt like he had asked the right questions mm-hmm. and was completely understood, and then he told her a simple solution, it would have been accepted. Right. So I think, but yeah, there is this dilemma with the comparison issue of like, we, sometimes we expect because these problems in clients' minds are mm-hmm. complex and fuzzy and they're emotionally fuzzy, they're mathematically fuzzy, right. we need a complex solution. Right. Sometimes we have to warn people, but we can head that off by accepting the fact that we're the experts early right. on. So there's something that struck me today in your presentation. You said, you know, there are four things that we don't talk about. It's sort of sex, religion, politics, and money. And then you kind of close your presentation by bringing up something that, that some would consider quite provocative. And you said, replace trust with love. And some will, <laughs> for love, I mean, a pretty provocative yeah. phrase. So just explain to the viewers yeah. what you mean by, by love. Well, and that's a challenge, of course, like out of context. So yes. this guy's talking about love, but in the context, right? I yes. used to say that the, the ultimate solution to sort of helping people behave correctly mm-hmm. is trust. Right. You know, and... and, and and I don't say that in, I know in our industry there's this fear of like mm-hmm. trust because of course we want people to verify that their assets are safe. I'm talking right. about trusting your advice. Right. Whenever we are going to trust, like whenever we get professional services from anyone, mm-hmm. you know, you hire an attorney, you're going to that person because you don't know. Yeah. Therefore, you need to trust that that person does. Right? Mm-hmm. So that's trust. My thought is like there's a step beyond that. Yeah. Right. And this idea of love, like I, I have to soften it by saying, look, I used to use the word trust. Right. But all I mean is like, oh, can we just treat each other like the way we expect to be treated? Right. If you love your clients, you would never steal their money. Yeah. You don't have to worry anymore about whether you're fiduciary. Of course you're gonna do the right thing. Right. Right. So I just think it's if we approach it that way, like look, yes. I I mean, most of my clients I felt that way about like I really, really cared right. about them. You know, and sometimes that got emotional. I mean, it shouldn't be provocative, but it, it sometimes sounds provocative. No, it so, is. I mean, to have yeah. somebody up there say, look, yeah. love is the ultimate spreadsheet. Right. What in the world are you talking about? That's what I'm talking right. about. Right, okay. Yeah. So I guess in closing, um, I'm guessing you've done like hundreds of drawings. I don't know how many you've done over the course of yeah. your... We're like 400. 400. Well, yeah, yeah. 400. So 
give us an example of one or two that really hits a nerve and kind of resonated and got a kind of a great response. Yeah. Um, okay, so there maybe I'll give you two different types of examples. Okay. One is the fear, greed, repeat until broke. It's on the okay. cover of the book. Right. Um, I can I can show you. So this is the yeah you know, the view of that. Okay. Yeah. So that one seems to get like I, because advisors have that up on their walls all over, yes. and I universally get people saying, or when they hand them the yeah. book, I universally True. get people saying. That's been my, you know, like the client saying, that's been my experience. really hits the nerve. Yeah, yeah, I've, I've yeah. done that. Can you help me change that? Yeah. Like that one seems to resonate yeah. with a lot of people. And then on the other side is um, if you imagine sort of a Venn diagram and in mm -hmm. one circle it says things that matter mm -hmm. and the other circle it says things that you can control. Right. And the overlap, yes. things that both matter and things that you can control is labeled what you should focus on. Right. And that one um, seems to resonate like, you know, that's one that, I know of a couple of people that have a, have them up in their homes, right? right? Like my wife would never put fear, allow me yes. to put fear and greed in the house. Right. But focus is right. what we call that. Things that matter. That one's up in their homes, and I think for me, it's yeah. it's turned into sort of almost like a touchstone. Where I, if right. I start getting worried, I can go back and say, wait, a will this really matter? Like right. is Cyprus, for example, really going to matter? Right. I, I don't know. Yeah. Um, don't think so, but don't know. Yeah. But I know I have no control over it. Right. Okay, then I can let go. So the takeaway is kind of focus on the things you can control and sort of let go of the things that you can't. Yeah. I mean, yeah. is it done any good ever yeah. to worry about, I mean, what good did it do you to worry about um, the European debt crisis last year? Right. Or the LIBOR crisis. Remember, we've already forgotten. Like right. the, the debt, the, the uh, fiscal cliff. Yeah. Did it do you any good to worry about? No, it right. didn't. So we just let it go. Okay. Terrific insights, Carl. Mm, thank, thank you very you. much for being here and uh, thank you for watching. Copyright 2013 CFA Institute. This program is designed to give accurate and authoritative information in regard to the subject matter covered. It is distributed with the understanding that CFA Institute is not engaged in rendering legal, accounting, tax, investment, or other expert advice. If legal advice or other expert assistance is required, the services of a competent professional should be sought.